If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Emma Smith was a respected member of her community. She was like the perfect pastor's wife. And her husband was a popular preacher. Everybody loved Ernest. Never heard of anybody saying that they disliked him. Which made the circumstances around his death that much more tragic. She heard Ernest call and say, baby, I've been shot. The case went cold, lost in a deluge of crime that flooded New Orleans in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. Given what the police department was going through at the time, this goes by the wayside. But then Emma remarried. He was a handsome guy, and he was fine. And less than six years later, he was dead. James Rain had been murdered. Was it a tragic coincidence? They have really no suspects. Or would one family's quest for justice? We let the murderer walk the streets. Expose the awful truth about Emma. That's when the bombshell was dropped on us. New Orleans, Louisiana, April 12, 2006. It was a steamy spring night in this normally laid-back river city known around the world as the Big Easy. It's a city that definitely knows how to enjoy itself. Uh, we love parades, we love Mardi Gras. But that April, living in New Orleans was anything but easy. Eight months after Hurricane Katrina, the city still struggled to rebuild after the catastrophe. Its population hovering at around 200,000 barely 50% of what it was before the storm blew through. I'm not even sure you could say we were recovering at that point. And that night, the city's population was about to get even smaller. Sometime before midnight, the call comes into 911. The caller was 41-year-old Emma Smith. 
She stated her husband had just been killed and that she needed the police. When police arrived minutes later, they were greeted by a gruesome scene. 38-year-old Ernest Smith lay dead just inside the couple's townhouse. His shirt was saturated with blood. He was shot twice in his chest. Emma told the police her husband had been out that night with a friend and that she'd been upstairs in bed when the shooting occurred. She wasn't feeling very well. She had taken a sleeping pill, and then she heard a couple of popping sounds. She heard the sounds outside, and she just thought it was a car, a car that had backfired. And according to Emma, it was only moments later that she realized what really happened. Mr. Smith somehow managed to get himself into the house and said, baby, I've been shot. Was Emma's husband simply another casualty of a city in chaos, with local government and law enforcement left so crippled by the storm's damage that it had almost descended into anarchy? The city was struggling to fight crime in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. Or would it take years and another murder to reveal the whole story? It's almost titillating. There's a fascination with, you know, how can somebody do this? Born in 1964 in the sleepy river town of Vicksburg, Mississippi, Emma started life in modest circumstances, but grew up dreaming of bigger, better things. She always wanted to be rich. She always wanted to live a lavish lifestyle. She always wanted to drive uh, fancy cars. And once Emma finished high school, she set out to make those dreams a reality. During her time in Vicksburg, she was a tax preparer. Emma also married and had two kids, a son and a daughter. But in 1993, when Emma was 29, disaster struck. Emma's first husband, he was hit by a car, which left him as a paraplegic. Emma spent the next year nursing her paralyzed husband, who tragically passed away in 1994. He ended up choking to death on his feeding tube in bed one night. A widow and a single mom at the age of 29, Emma decided to put some distance between her 11 and 12-year-old children and the memories of their father's tragic death. Soon after her husband's funeral, she moved the family to New Orleans, where she met a charismatic young minister named Ernest Smith. Four years younger than Emma, Ernest had a hard childhood growing up in the Big Easy. His mother and father did die, and he was around 10, and he was adopted. He never talked about his past, never talked about his parents. But other than a reluctance to talk, his tragic childhood left few emotional scars. He was always like a little boy, always happy. I've never seen him where he was sad, never had an uh, ugly look or anything on his face. I've never seen him sour. i never seen him angry. After high school, Ernest did a stint in the National Guard, got married, and had a daughter. But when the marriage ended in divorce, Ernest sought solace in religion and found his true calling. He loved teaching the gospel, and he loved preaching the gospel. He just loved what he did. He was dedicated to the, to the gospel. He worked Monday through Friday as a truck driver. But shortly before he met Emma, the passionate preacher managed to start his own church. And every Sunday, people flocked to hear him preach. 
He was always excited about something. When you first meet him, you, uh, you fall in love with him. That was apparently true in Emma's case. Soon after attending a service one Sunday, the single mom and the single pastor were dating. She was very captivating. We all were. And in 1995, she and Ernest were married. She was like the perfect pastor's wife. She was a good host. If you came to her home, you was treated like royalty. Being a pastor's wife is a very hard job anyway, and she was doing a very good job as first being uh, first lady. Although, like Ernest, even the first lady had to work outside the church in order to make ends meet. She had all these different ideals and jobs that she was doing. She owned a wig shop. She was into real estate, and she was a tax preparer. And together, the couple raised Emma's two children, who Ernest treated as his own. He was a real father to them. I know they loved him, and he did everything that a father would do. He would often throw barbecues, and they had a pool uh, at the house, and everybody would come over and enjoy themselves. From what I can see from their family relationship, it was pretty good. Everything was just great between them both. To me, it was a perfect loving family. But in 2005, Emma's perfect life was once again swept up by tragedy, one that would affect the entire community. At the end of August, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. I remember one of the elected officials, as he surveyed sort of the city and looked out over the community, he said, New Orleans, as we know it, will never exist again. The storm forced the evacuation of more than half of the city's residents, including Emma, Ernest, and the kids. During Katrina, they were displaced, and they went to Arlington, Texas. In Texas, Ernest got a temporary truck driving job, and Emma's children, both in their early 20s, found work and settled in, too. But Emma didn't stay in Houston long. Instead, she returned to New Orleans almost as soon as the floodwaters receded. She had businesses that she had to get back on online. Ernest, with his congregation scattered by the storm, stayed behind in Texas, hoping to earn enough money to see the couple through the crisis. So I think he stayed there for the job. And when Ernest did return to New Orleans, he wasn't planning to be there long because a new opportunity promised to take the family and Ernest's career to the next level. He was supposed to be moving to Atlanta to take over a 500-member church. He was very excited about that new chapter in his life, just excited about becoming pastor there. So in April of 2006, prior to moving to Atlanta and taking charge of a much larger church than his old congregation, Ernest returned to New Orleans and the rented townhouse on the east side that served as Emma's temporary home. New Orleans East was one of the areas to recover more slowly than others. There weren't a lot of people that lived there. It was a very, very desolate, very remote area. And for Ernest, at least, it wasn't very safe either. Within the week of him moving back to New Orleans, he was dead. Coming up, the New Orleans police have no suspects. Everybody loved Ernest. I didn't see him have any enemies. But does that mean his death is a random robbery gone wrong? It was almost the perfect place to commit a murder and get away with it.
At around midnight on April 12, 2006, 41-year-old Emma Smith called 911 and reported that her husband, Ernest, had just been shot, apparently right outside the couple's New Orleans home. She said she heard what sounded like a popping sound, and she didn't think anything of it until she heard Mr. Ernest call and say, baby, I've been shot. And she said that's when she uh, made her way downstairs to call uh, 911. When the New Orleans police arrived on the scene minutes later, they found the 38-year-old lying dead just inside his front door. Ernest Smith is shot twice in the chest with a nine millimeter. He fell inside of the apartment at the base of the stairs. And based on where the investigators found two nine millimeter shell casings, it appeared that his killer had been outside the house waiting in ambush. Those two shell casings are found outside, not far, but there is a sort of an alleyway that goes beside what appear to be apartments or like small townhouses all down a row. But had someone specifically targeted the popular minister? Or was he merely another victim of the crime wave that surged through the city in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina? Emma said she had no idea. All she knew, according to what she told the police, was that Ernest had been out that night with his friend Ronald, attending bike night at a local bar. Ernest Smith had just recently purchased a new motorcycle. He was learning how to ride a motorcycle. It was his first motorcycle. And Ronald confirmed Emma's story when he arrived at the scene a few minutes later. We received a phone call from Emma Smith stating that uh, Mr. Ernest had been shot. And he made his way back to the scene. Questioned by the police, Ronald said he dropped Ernest off at the apartment just minutes before the shooting. Ronald tells us they come back to uh, Ernest Smith's home, and they're outside sort of just having a conversation, talking about bike night and this, that, and the other. Eventually, according to Ronald, Ernest had gotten out of the car and headed for his front door. Ronald asked him, so you sure you're going to make it? You know, inside, he was like, yeah, I'm safe. You can leave. It wasn't an idle question, considering the city's semi-abandoned state in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. This particular portion of New Orleans East where they were living, it was a desolate, isolated area. The apartments were, for the most part, all vacant. And despite his friend's assurances, Ronald said he'd even sat in his car and waited until Ernest reached his door. He sees Ernest Smith go into his pocket, pull out his keys. Then, according to Ronald, he drove away, apparently just moments before his friend was gunned down. He said when he was on the interstate after leaving Pastor Smith, he saw the police unit and he saw the EMS wagon. He didn't think anything of it. The next thing that happens is he gets a phone call from Emma Rain saying that Ernest Smith has been shot. He says he's alarmed, he doesn't understand, he was just with him, there wasn't anybody out there. But someone had been out there, and as a result, Ernest was dead. I don't know if he was startled by the individual or if they called out his name or if they said anything uh, to him because he had to turn around to face them because the entry room was to the uh, chest. But who had attacked the up-and-coming minister? And why? That was the puzzling part. Everybody loved Ernest. I didn't see him having any enemies. Never heard of anybody saying that they disliked him. 
Only one thing was certain. The flood-ravaged neighborhood offered few answers. This was a totally dead area where canvassing the neighborhood would have produced nothing. It was almost the perfect place to, to commit a murder and get away with it. And still struggling in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, there was little the New Orleans police could do about it. It was a time when the city was sort of just processing scenes. If there was a suspect, they would move forward. But if not, the case went cold, and they would move on to the next one. Which is precisely what happened in Ernest Smith's case. They go out, and they do an initial investigation. And then basically, they come to a dead end. They have no more leads. They have no more clues. They have really no suspects. With no witnesses, no evidence other than a pair of shell casings, and no immediate suspects. The case went cold, and the police moved on. Given what the police department was going through at the time, this goes by the wayside. With her husband's murder still unsolved, Emma moved on too. Her kids were settled into new jobs and a new life in Texas, but she stayed in New Orleans, focused on her businesses. And in the aftermath of her husband's murder, she started spending more time with an old friend of Ernest's, an army buddy named James Rain. Him and James was in the same guard unit. And in the wake of Ernest's murder, he was exactly what Emma needed to take her mind off the tragedy. He was fun. He, he made people smile. He's very popular. And people just, it's like they flocked around him. Emma and James started dating. And in 2008, they married and moved to Mississippi, building a house in James's hometown of Poplarville. It was like 4,300 square foot, four or maybe five bedrooms upstairs, swimming pool. For Mississippi, it was extravagant. It was a $400,000 uh, home. Emma had finally found the life she dreamed of as a child. They had nice cars. They even had a boat, nice boat. But after tragically losing two husbands, would her third attempt to make a life for herself finally last? Or would another tragedy bring Emma's world crashing down? It was March of 2013, seven years after Ernest Smith's murder, when Detective Decinda Chambers' phone rang. It was a cold case, a homicide detective, and investigate cases after they were a year old. The caller was Enoch Rain, the brother of James Rain. He'd recently seen the detective on television, interviewed on a true crime TV series that profiles cold cases. James Rain's family in Mississippi reached out telling her specifically that they had information on a New Orleans homicide. The homicide of Pastor Ernest Smith, to be exact. Detective Chambers, as you would expect, follows up on the lead. She goes and sits down and meets with these individuals. Although, as it turned out, Ernest's murder wasn't the only one the family wanted to talk about. Coming up, tragedy strikes Emma again. James Rain had been murdered. But is it a coincidence, or will the cold case investigation uncover even more victims? He would be number four. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. 
My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. By March of 2013, it had been seven years since the unsolved murder of Emma Rain's second husband, Ernest Smith. The 38-year-old minister had been gunned down outside the couple's New Orleans apartment during the chaotic aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. As is the case with a lot of things that happened right after the storm, the case went cold, and eventually investigators just sort of put the case aside. But one phone call had changed all that. Detective Chambers gets a call from people who have some information about a homicide that took place in the city of New Orleans. The caller was a man named Enoch Rain, the brother of Emma's third husband, James. We put the ball in rolling. We contacted the center chambers, um, New Orleans Police Department. However, the Ernest Smith case wasn't the only murder that Enoch was calling about. They advised me that their brother James Rain had been murdered. We want justice and to know what took place with James' murder. James had been murdered in October of 2011 at the house in Poplarville while Emma was out of town visiting a client of her tax preparation business. She had been trying to get in contact with him and she was unable to. So she called his mom and told his mom to go over to the house and check on him. The mother goes there and is the one who ultimately finds him shot in the head in his bed. Officially, the police in Mississippi had no leads, despite the fact that the couple's half-million-dollar home had been wired with security cameras. The security system was down. It was unplugged. It was off. And while Emma had been away when the murder occurred, the family was convinced that Emma had set the stage for James's killer before she left. The last person to be seen on the surveillance cameras inside Emma and James's home is Emma Rain. And I believe it's the day before he is murdered, and she's seen in the image shutting the cameras off. The security cameras weren't the only reason James's family suspected Emma either, because according to the family, it was no coincidence that Emma and James married just two years after the death of her second husband, Ernest Smith. 
So her and James Rain had been in a physical relationship, certainly for some period of time before uh, Ernest Smith is killed. Could Emma and James's affair have led to Ernest's murder? According to the family, Ernest was aware of the relationship. Family members of James Rain had heard him arguing on the phone with Ernest Smith, Ernest sort of telling him, look, stay away from my wife. James's brother Enoch says he warned James to heed Ernest's words, that nothing but trouble could come from sleeping with another man's wife. I told my brother, I said, do you know you, you flirting with death? But it was Ernest who'd ended up dead. And within two years, James and Emma had gotten married, moved to Mississippi, and built a brand new house, a house that Ernest's death had essentially paid for. They cashed in on the $800,000 uh, insurance policy that she had taken out shortly before her husband's death. Enoch said the family had been a little suspicious when the couple started throwing money around after Ernest's death. I asked my brother, did he have anything to do with it? James's answer had been no. I said, you, you didn't have anything. And he told me again, no, I didn't. So I left it at that. We took him at his word because we're a family that's not wishy-washy. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And according to Enoch, he now knew that James wasn't the one who'd killed Ernest. Enoch said that he'd learned the truth about Ernest's murder from a man named Terry Everett, who was practically a brother to James, too. Him and James were very uh, close. He was adopted by uh, James' mother in his teenage years because his mother uh, passed away. When James died, Terry was living in Atlanta, but he had come home for the funeral. And after the service, Enoch and his uncle pulled Terry aside and told him what they suspected, that Emma was behind James's murder and that James and Emma may have killed Ernest too. They say that Terry begins to weep, hysterically weep. And they ask him, what's going on? Calm yourself down, what's going on? That's when the bombshell was dropped on us. He tells us he killed Ernest. Enoch and his uncle were stunned. The vehicle goes silent for a little while. And my next question was, why? And he said, James and Emma got me to do it. According to Enoch, Terry said he had been promised a share of the money from Ernest's life insurance, but it was an empty promise. His deal was $10,000 and he never even got there. He instead said that he got two clunker cars. Emma and James had married and spent the life insurance proceeds themselves. And now, more than five years later, James was dead too. As the reality of Terry's confession sank in, Enoch told Terry that he had to go to the police. We told him, when you're ready, we'll go with you. You know, we'll do everything we can to help you, you know, but even if it came down to having to pay for a lawyer, we'd help you, you know, but you got to do the right thing. Still, according to Enoch and his uncle William, Terry had agreed. And I think he did make the omission out of guilt and also that he was missing James. But for all his guilt, Terry had never followed through. 
Six months came, nothing. A year came, nothing. 18 months came, nothing. And at this time, I'm at the point where, you know, we let the murderer walk the streets. So in March of 2013, seven years after Ernest's murder and almost two years after James had been killed, Enoch Rain and his uncle had contacted the New Orleans police. These were decent, honest, hardworking people who simply wanted to convey something that had been sort of weighing on their mind for a time. They were having to give to the detective information about someone who was a family member. That's something that's very, very difficult. They're snitching on their own family member, really. I mean, and to hear them talk about it, it really tore that family apart. But was their story about Terry's confession true? According to Enoch, Terry had provided details. We knew what type of gun. We knew how many times he was shot. And that was something that was never revealed in this case. And he'd also described just how the murder had gone down. He says, I was waiting in my car. I watch him talk to another guy for a while. He says, as soon as the guy leaves, he pulls off. He gets out of his car. He shoots him twice in the chest. After the crime was committed, Terry drove away back to Mississippi. As he was crossing over the bridge, over Lake Pontchartrain, he threw the murder weapon, the gun, into the lake. It was consistent. Everything that they said um, that he'd confessed to was consistent. Following up with members of Ernest's old congregation, the investigators also uncovered evidence that was consistent with the family's claim about Emma having an affair. There were rumors from some of his members that she was no good, you know, that, that she had boyfriends. Emma's phone records, especially one call she made the night of Ernest's murder, just moments after talking to the police, provided additional evidence that pointed to the affair. At that time, they don't know who she's calling. We later learned from her phone records, she's calling James Rain in Mississippi. But some of the most damning evidence had to do with Ernest's $800,000 insurance policy. Half of that money should have gone to Ernest's daughter from his first marriage, but it had all gone to Emma. She forged Mr. Smith's daughter name to the insurance documents, which allowed Ms. Emma Rain to receive the $800,000 uh, insurance policy. Ernest's daughter had sued over the fraud and won. She actually hired a lawyer, and they did a forensic guy come in with, with the uh, handwriting and found out that that wasn't her handwriting. Was collecting almost a million dollars worth of insurance Emma's motive for murdering Ernest? That's what the New Orleans investigator thought. I got the certified documents from the fraud case and I applied for an arrest warrant for first-degree murder and solicitation uh, for first-degree murder. The judge also issued an arrest warrant for Terry Everett, who was picked up first on July 13th of 2013. They found him working on a pipeline in Texas, and they extradited him from Texas to New Orleans, Louisiana, where he was booked accordingly. 
But would Terry, who'd already confessed to James's family, cooperate with the police? I spoke with him, and he cried like a baby. I had never seen a man cry the way he cried. But for all his tears, Terry never talked. Terry Everett, once he was arrested, did not make any statements to Detective Chambers. Not that he didn't want to uh, say anything. It was like shock. I can't say nothing. I can't, I just can't believe that I took part in something that led me here today. The authorities arrested Emma two weeks later on August 1st in Kansas City, where she was living with a new husband. The marriage had occurred in December of 2012, exactly 14 months after James's murder nearly seven years after Ernest's murder, and 18 years after the death of Emma's first husband. And the first thing came to my mind was that, well, he would be number four. In fact, Emma had such a long trail of dead husbands behind her that she was confused when the police placed her under arrest. She needed clarification as to why she was being arrested. I told her this was about her husband, and her words to me were wood husband. Coming up, is the case against Emma a long shot? There's no physical evidence tying Emma to the case. Or will Terry finally come through? He still has a chance to do the right thing. On August 10, 2016, 11 years after Hurricane Katrina swept New Orleans, 52-year-old Emma Rain stood trial for the decade-old murder of her second husband, Ernest Smith. This case had been a cold case for several years. And according to the prosecutor's opening statement, Emma's motivation for killing her husband was just as cold. The motive that Emma Rain had was the insurance proceeds that she was going to get as a result of this man's death. She was a very cold and calculating individual. She was ruthless. There was one problem with the prosecution's case, though, one that the defense was quick to point out in its opening statement. There's no physical evidence tying Emma to the case. There's no ballistics. There's no blood. There's absolutely nothing. Of course, they did have someone who could tie Emma to the murder, the alleged trigger man, Terry Everett. But would he testify? Terry Everett, once he was arrested in connection with this, at no time was ever willing to cooperate with the prosecution. And since he had been unwilling to cooperate, the district attorney had decided to try Terry first in December of 2014. We had to win the case against him in order to have a chance against Emma Rain. So it was the building block on which the Emma Rain prosecution was based. Although even getting a guilty verdict against Terry had been no slam dunk. There were no witnesses, there was no weapon, there's no DNA, there's no surveillance footage, there's no financial record showing a sudden large, unexplained increase in Terry's bank account. There's none of those things that you would look for. What they did have, though, 
was moving testimony from the brother of Emma Rain's third husband, James Rain. Enoch Rain claimed that Terry had confessed to killing Ernest as part of a plot that Emma and James had put together in order to collect the insurance money. I sit there on the stand and had to repeat what he told me. I love him to death, but I still couldn't look at the fact that he was just as cowardly as my brother James and Emma. It broke his heart to have to testify, and so the jury realized that he would never have done that had it not been the truth, because it was torture. And that had been enough to seal Terry's fate. He was found guilty of second-degree murder. But would the life sentence he was facing be the leverage the prosecutors needed? They offered us if he would cooperate to somehow work out a sentence for 40 years. Terry did not want to take that. Still, despite his refusal to cooperate, the prosecutors called the convicted murderer as a witness during Emma's trial. He still has a chance to do the right thing. But would he take it? It was a, a very dramatic moment. He was shackled, handcuffed on his wrists and ankles, and he refused to take the witness stand. He sat with his attorneys, kept his head down, uh, he didn't He didn't say anything. Terry may not have willingly cooperated, but his silent show of defiance played right into the prosecution's hands. We had to place on the record that he's refusing to answer in order for us to legally be allowed to impeach him with the statements that he had made to his family members. Without Terry's refusal to testify on record, any testimony from the family about his confession would be hearsay. But since they'd given Terry the opportunity to testify and he'd refused, the prosecution was able to put members of the Rain family on the stand to recount the details of the murder plot that Terry had confessed to them. She coerced and set this plan up and got him caught up, Terry caught up in it, and I feel for him. And to explain Emma's motive for murdering her husband, the prosecution also presented a detailed analysis of how prior to the murder, she had dramatically increased the amount of Ernest's life insurance. She starts to increase the life insurance policies slowly, but in drastic amounts for Ernest Smith, up until the point where she's at $800,000. The last bump came, I believe it was just four months before his death. The prosecutor also explained that after the murder, Emma and her daughter, now in her 30s, had committed forgery to cheat Ernest's daughter out of her rightful share of the insurance money. She has her daughter go in and forge the signature, signing over her half of the $800,000 to Emma Rain. It wasn't speculation either. By the time Emma stood trial, her daughter had already pleaded guilty to fraud charges stemming from the forgery. I imagine the only reason she did it was because of the pressure that her mama put up on her. To elicit your child to sign or to forge a document that shed a different light on the investigation to show the means that which she would go through to get basically what she, um, what she wanted. And according to the prosecutors, there was only one thing that Emma wanted. The money, the, the greed. This is what these crimes were um, were about. 
the fact that somebody could be so driven by money, I think was really horrifying that they would be willing to literally destroy the lives of people that they loved in exchange for money. In fact, the prosecutors were convinced that Emma had destroyed more than one life. It was not just about Ernest Smith. She had made her living killing husbands. Not only had Emma's third husband, James Rain, been murdered too, there was also the tragic accident that had almost killed her first husband. It was a mysterious sort of possibly hit and run. No one was really sure who was responsible. It rendered him a paraplegic. Was the fact that he'd lived merely a glitch in Emma's plan? That's what her first husband's family suspected when a year later he choked to death on his feeding tube while lying in bed. The mother and the deceased's brother tell us that the last person to be in the room with him was Emma Rain. Her first husband's family also wondered whatever became of his life insurance. They did not receive any uh, money from his life insurance. They believed that there was a policy in place and that she likely collected. We just simply had tried and tried to find documentation to support that, and we were not able to. We always kind of suspected that that was her first taste at how easy it might have been to receive financial gains at the death of her husband. However, since they couldn't find any documentation, the judge didn't allow the prosecutors to present the evidence from her first husband's death to the jury. There just simply wasn't enough evidence there to support that he had died at her hands. However, the prosecutors were allowed to present evidence of the suspicious circumstances surrounding the death of James Rain. The jury could consider this other evidence to determine whether or not this was consistent with her character, her motive, her, her interest, her intent. And according to the prosecution, whether it was two murders or three, the pattern was the same. You don't get a lot of Black Widow cases. It's kind of fascinating. Or was it possible that she was just a victim of circumstance and a series of tragic coincidences? According to the defense, the murders of Ernest Smith and James Rain did have something in common, that Emma wasn't involved in either of them. Essentially, they say that there is no evidence that Emma Rain had anything to do with this. For starters, they claim that there was nothing sinister about Emma increasing the amount of Ernest Smith's life insurance. She claimed when he got a motorcycle that that was the reason to increase his life insurance. And Terry Everett's emotional confession to James Rain's family. According to the defense, it was possible Terry and James had conspired to kill Ernest without Emma. In the defense's case, they portrayed James to be the evil one who planned all of this. They claimed that the insurance proceeds were supposed to go to James, who ultimately they say is the evil mastermind. And since Emma didn't take the stand, when the case went to the jury on August 12th, the decision essentially came down to one thing, the credibility of a convicted murderer's confession to a bereaved family unless the jury was able to believe the statement made by Everett, there would have been no foundation for the trial against Emma Rain. Coming up, will Terry's secondhand confession be enough to convict Emma? If not, this woman was gonna destroy somebody else's family. Or will the jury get hung up on hearsay? 
Her defense attorney really felt like he had a good argument. On August 12, 2016, the jury in Emma Rain's murder trial announced that it had reached a verdict. The 52-year-old was charged with orchestrating the murder of her second husband, Ernest Smith. And she was suspected in the deaths of her first and third husbands, too. The Black Widow aspect was fascinating for both police prosecutors and the media. People were very interested, just sort of horrified at the fact that this had happened so many times. But would the jury believe Emma had killed one husband, much less all three? I got the impression that she felt she was going to get off. Her defense attorney really felt like uh, he had a good argument that she wasn't involved and that it was an unfair prosecution. After all, the entire case against Emma hinged on the confession that convicted triggerman Terry Everett had made to her third husband's family. It's been a heartbreaking experience for them. They had to testify and tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury exactly what he had told them. I know how we feel as a family. We want justice because if not, this woman was going to destroy somebody else's family. But would the family get the justice they sought? It all came down to the jury's verdict. Emma Rain was found guilty by a jury of second degree murder. She had no reaction, really, to the verdict. But for the family of Emma's third husband, James Rain, the jury's decision came as a huge relief. That guilty verdict, I'm talking about a, a weight lifted off. You can't bring people back, but knowing what I knew, it, when, when they said guilty with her, it just, it was lifted and she would be going away for a long time, too. On October 21st, the judge sentenced Emma to life without parole. And Emma only has herself to blame. According to the prosecutors, if she had stopped with Ernest's murder, Terry never would have confessed, and James's family wouldn't have gone to the police. To find people who do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do is such a rare thing for us to find in this business. If it had not been for that break, Emma Rain would still be out there. Although in hindsight, James's brother wonders who made the bigger mistake, Emma for murdering James or James for marrying Emma. What the hell was you thinking? You just didn't been a part of helping this woman murder her husband. What in the world you didn't think you was gonna be next? Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued 
by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.